Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can uh, also hear the podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify Podcasts. And you can also check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Um, there you will get early access to reviews. You will also get... Um, write-ups on older movies that I've watched throughout the months, as well as some deep dives, and uh, as well as some other things during Oscar and film festival season. And you can also see me live stream at twitch.tv backslash Scuttle Lemur, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Hopefully going to have some more guests coming up in the, uh, in the future. It just kind of depends on uh, what my schedule looks like, because uh, from August to the end of the year, it's going to be kind of crazy even before you figure in my regular job, says at twitch.tv backslash scuttle lemur. This is actually the second take on this podcast. Uh, we tried recording this last week, and we did pretty well until my computer decided that it wanted to uh, shut down before I had a chance to save the podcast. So this is basically take, take two of this interview with a uh, film critic... Uh, I met on Twitter a few years ago, and uh, we've had some good back and forths, and I want, I've wanted to have him on the podcast, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Kip Mooney. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Um, before we get started, since this is your first time on the podcast, uh, and well, technically second, but the first time hopefully people will get to hear, um, what, what drew you to writing about um, in discussing movies? Yeah, so I always tell people kind of the light bulb moment for me um, was when I was 12 or so and my parents took my sister and me to see a screening of Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Um, and that was seeing that on the big screen really just kind of um, ignited my passion for film. And you know, started to shift my focus away from other things that I was interested in and made that kind of my main obsession. Mm -hmm. uh, where can people uh, find your written work? Yeah, so uh, I primarily write for collegemoviereview.com. Been there for almost a decade now, which is kind of hard <laughs> to believe. Um, and I also write uh, for centraltrack.com. Um, been there for, I guess, six years or so. Um, and I occasionally write reviews, but um, pre-pandemic and then only started up again last month, I mostly just uh, write a column about what movies are coming out each month. Okay. Um... And I also contributed to The Spool. Um, usually in their filmmaker of the month pieces, I'll, you know, usually if it's a filmmaker, I, you know, really love, I'll, I'll volunteer to write a piece I've written about Spike Lee's Clockers and Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan. And, uh, it's a great site. Uh, I don't know if you know Clint Worthington, but he runs that site and does a great job. Okay. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> I, I I always enjoy uh, getting to, uh, I always, you know, you, you talking about uh, writing for, about movies that you kind of enjoy, especially ones that kind of fall under the radar of uh, filmmakers' careers. I mean, 
Clocker certainly is like that for Spike Lee, and even though it was Oscar nominated, it's eas- I would easily say that Simple Plan is kind of undervalued, I think, by a lot of film fans in Sam Raimi's career. And I, I know that's, that's one of the things I've always kind of been fascinated by are movies that are a bit under the radar for certain directors. Um, I know, uh, you know, I know uh, recently I'm doing, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of doing a full rewatch of Alex Perez's work, who did The Crow, did Dark City. And uh, I, I think one of the movies I, but I, I think a movie that I really enjoy of his that not enough people know about is Garage Days, which he did between Dark City and iRobot. And it was basically an independent rock music comedy uh, they did in Australia. It's really an enjoyable film, but it barely got released in the States. Um, so it's been kind of under the radar, but if you look at it, it's still, even though it doesn't have a lot of the same big ideas that Perez had in some of his other work, you can still see his uh, signature, his visual style, kind of, as well as his appreciation of using uh, rock song songs and film as well as score. And uh, what, are, what are some of some movies from? Uh, some of your favorite filmmakers that may fall under the radar that you uh, really appreciate? Yeah. Um, as soon as you started kind of going down this route, I was thinking, and the first one that came to mind was uh, Martin Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead, mm-hmm. um, which uh, came out in 1999 and uh, stars Nicolas Cage as a paramedic. Um, <clears throat> kind of haunted by the people that he couldn't save. Um, and it really, you know, Roger Ebert was a big fan of it, but it did not make a lot of money. Um, it's not, it's out of print on DVD and I don't think it's ever been released on Blu-ray or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would put it up there with his best work. Um, and unsurprisingly, it's another collaboration with Paul Schrader, mm-hmm. uh, who tends to be the, the screenwriter who, you know, gets Scorsese, you know, they get each other and kind of visions are, um, and it's just tremendous. And especially watching it last year as kind of the pandemic was taking off, it just really, uh, hits a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Um, just, you know, people trying to find connection, you know, people, you know, being with you and conscious and then the next minute they're gone. Mm -hmm and all that, um, it's, it's a really powerful movie and I definitely hope people seek it out. Yeah, I, uh, I, I actually, you know, Bring Out the Dead admittedly was a movie I was not a big fan of in 1999. Um, I, I, you know, I, I just, for some reason it just didn't connect with me like a lot of the other movies in, of that year did, but I've watched it a couple of other times and then the most recent for a discussion on the podcast when I d- went through the films of 1999 and I really, and maybe it's because of the fact that I'm so much older now than I was in 1999 and it's just something that connects with me. I mean, it helps I'm much more in tune with uh, Nicolas Cage as a performer and Martin Scorsese as a filmmaker and you're right, that collaboration between him and uh, Paul Schrader, which 
I mean, obviously, is Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, but also includes um, The Last Temptation of Christ, which feels about as far removed from those films as anything. But at the same time, you you can see the connective tissue between all of those films that uh, Scorsese and Schrader done together. But yeah, that that's a movie that it you know it's funny because most people when they say like sort of sort of forgotten movies with Scorsese or movies that are kind of under the radar, most people say After Hours which mm-hmm. is another terrific example, but I think even more Bringing Out the Dead is a wonderful example of that because of the fact that it is, it very much is a Scorsese movie in a lot of ways, thematically, uh, emotionally, the fact that it's in New York, the way the energy that the film has, but it is a movie that just didn't land with audiences when it first came out, and it's it's just really it's fascinating, and yeah, I it's it's one of those movies where it's like I, you know, the it's a fallacy that you can essentially watch anything right now because of streaming and all of that stuff. Because I mean, technic I mean, yes, I could rent, uh, bring out the dead, but I can't own a physical copy of it. Like you said, I mean, I would have to put down for DVD because it was never put on Blu-ray. And it's it's always interesting to me. It's interesting to me that there are so many films of the past thirty years, but even the past twenty years that just don't really. They seem to kind of get forgotten, and it's really kind of a shame that. And you know, bring out the dead. You would expect somebody like Keener Lorber or maybe even Criterion Collection to pick it up and you know, give it a good release, but for some reason it just hasn't happened. Yeah, and even Paramount, they're, you know, really stepping up their game with Blu-ray releases, but some movies they're releasing on Blu-ray now are just, I don't know anyone who is clamoring for those, and yet yeah. don't bring that not on the radar at all. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's like, it's that's one of those things where it's like, I, I have to, you you almost are probably hoping that somewhere down the road you're going to get like a box of collaborations between Scorsese and Schrader to bring all these different movies that they did together. And, uh, you know, or, and, you know, it's it's weird. I, I'm fascinated by, I, I'm a huge fan of Nicolas Cage. I mean, I, I'm, I, I just love the, energy it brings to uh, certain movies. And it always, it's it's fascinating to see him collaborate with filmmakers like Scorsese and like Werner Herzog, where it's like, you think, oh, that makes all the sense in the world that they would collaborate. And it's a shame that you don't really see them collaborate again, because you would think that that would be such a rich uh, dynamic. But I mean, honestly, if you think about Scorsese, he really hasn't done anything else that you would think, oh, Nicolas Cage should be in this movie. That's true. Yeah, he's, he's you know, I mean, he's done all kinds of movies, but yeah, there's not one that you immediately go, oh, Nicolas Cage should definitely be in this. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> have you, now, since we're on the uh, subject of Nicolas Cage, have you watched Pig yet? I have not, unfortunately, but I, I really do want to see it. Because um, anytime you know, I hear that there's either an exceptionally bad Nicolas Cage movie or an exceptionally good Nicolas Cage movie. I get excited. 
Um, cause a lot of the stuff that he does lately, it's not even worth watching cause it's not so bad. It's good, but yeah. it's not quality either. Um, so when it's, you know, one of those extremes, uh, mm. I definitely excited. So hopefully we'll get a chance to check it out soon. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's going to be on demand next week. I think if I remember correctly, cause I, yeah. I did get a chance to watch it before it came out and I, I thought I, I absolutely loved it. I mean, it's it's one of the best performances Cage has given, um, and uh, I I think it's just it it's it's great because of the fact that it plays off of what we expect from Cage or what we might be expecting off of Cage, and instead it goes for something else. And it's really it's not the movie that you necessarily expect from the trailer. And I think. And to a certain extent, that's kind of a good thing because there are some movies where it's like, oh, if you don't get what you're getting, what you expect in the trailer, oh, you're going to be disappointed. But there are other movies that use that understanding of how trailers work and how trailers can lure you in that make you realize, oh, wait, this is, you know, this is not going to be this that movie at all. But I'm so intrigued with it, I'm so engaged with it that, you know, it, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. <clears throat> what, are, what are some of the favorite movies that you've uh, enjoyed this past year? Um, well, I mean, I, there's all kinds of stuff because my watch list is never-ending and, uh, <laughs> you know, subject to the vagaries of what's streaming, what's available at the library that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, my first movie back at the movie theater since uh, March of last year was uh, Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. And uh, just want to pause to give him some well wishes. Mm-hmm. Sounds like he's recovering pretty well from his heart attack this week. Yeah. Um, but Nobody was really enjoyable because it does go for that sort of John Wick style action. But it still is self-aware enough to be a little ridiculous mm-hmm. and understand how absurd the whole premise is. Um, so that was a lot of fun, but uh, I've actually been to the theater a lot. I, most of my friends, they've maybe been to the theater once, if at all, um, since restrictions lifted, but I've you know, been, gosh, eight, nine times already and going again tomorrow to see uh, The Green Knight, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm excited for. Yeah, I'll be curious. Uh, yeah, I'll be curious to get your thoughts on that one. My wife and I uh, watched it last night. She wasn't as it wasn't quite what she was expecting. She's not a huge fan of like the slow burn type of movie. I'm still kind of processing my thoughts. I'm probably you know I'm I'm a few paragraphs into my review, but I'm not quite out where I want to close yet. So uh, I'll, I'll be definitely curious to hear your thoughts on Twitter on that. Yeah, um, and then we did go to see Old last week, which I actually thought was terrific. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's been very polarizing um, for people, and I I would consider myself a fan of Shyamalan's work, but I'm not one of those people who thinks that The Happening is actually a misunderstood masterpiece. I think that movie's pretty terrible, has a great premise, but the execution was mm-hmm. awful. Um, but I have liked some of his more recent work. Um, I wasn't a fan of Glass, but you could tell that was like, this was his vision for it. This was not a studio yeah. notes compromise. Um, 
but I actually thought old was really great and kind of moving and, and disturbing um, until the last 10 minutes or so is pretty silly um, when you find out what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, but I, I, we liked it a lot. Um, and then the movie that I have not been able to stop thinking about that I watched this week is the documentary Crumb mm. uh, about Robert Crumb. Um, yeah. Came out in the 90s and... I really just have never seen anything like it because it's, you know, ostensibly a documentary about art and censorship kind of, and like, you know, what in a polite society, like, is there room for art that is extremely problematic and provocative? And maybe the artist doesn't even necessarily have uh, an awareness of how his art could be perceived by, mm -hmm. People, um, but then it's also about you know his family and how you know they all suffer from mental illness and him with his perverse drawings is like the most well-adjusted member of the family, <laughs> um, which is fascinating. Um, so I really liked it because I mean, yeah, I mean I've seen you know plenty of documentaries uh, over the years, but nothing quite like that. Yeah, it's been it's been many years since I watched Crumb. I think it was, I think it was like the late '90s that I'd seen it, and uh, yeah, it was it was something else when I watched it. I definitely need to watch it again at some point. Um, yeah, old. It's funny because of the fact that I, I think I would say that I really liked old, but I also would say I would agree with you about the ending. But it's funny because. What one of the things I've said as far as the ending, where it's like, I feel like that might have been because I mean, obviously, you know that something's happening, you know, something's going on with regards to the uh, the resort that they're in, but you're not quite sure what. And I, I almost feel like, I mean, Grand Shyamalan would never necessarily do this because that's not the filmmaker he is. I almost feel like if they had gone for more of the cabin in the woods thing, where like you see uh, that part going concurrently, mm -hmm. I feel yeah. like that might have worked better. Yeah. But I mean, overall, I mean, I was, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, DW from Nostalgia Cast got into a bit of a uh, tizzy when. Or he he had his mentions kind of blow up late last week when he said like that uh, Shyamalan hasn't directed a naturalistic performance since like two thousand four, and uh, it's hard not to argue with that when you look at the performances yeah. in the old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say yeah, because I mean, it got a lot of because they released you know some clips online, which I always think is a bad idea. But you yeah. know, people were talking about how the dialogue was bad and you know the performances were unnatural. But I mean, I thought I, while I wouldn't you know say any of the performances were awards worthy, like I thought that they did a good enough job of like yeah, drawing you in. And again, it's not like the happening where some of those line readings are just mm -hmm. absolutely laughable. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, no, I, I I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. No, it's uh no, I mean in I, I think the performances do enough to keep you engaged in the in what's going on. 
and and yeah. tr- keep trying to figure out sort of like what how this is playing out, why this is playing out the way it is, and uh, you know, yeah, I, I I think like you said, nothing's award worthy in in terms of the performances, but I mean, I you know, there's certainly enough there to where it it holds your interest in, at least. Um, I, although the only thing that I would say is awards worthy about the movie, even though I did like it a lot, is I think that the makeup, it should... Oh, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of movies still to come this year, but they should just go ahead and give the makeup award to that movie, for sure. Yeah. No, the, the makeup in the movie was phenomenal. I mean, even I'm not a huge... Even I'm, you know, and the thing is, it's like, I know this week, I think the cinematography was kind of taking some crap online, but I mean, I didn't mind it. I thought, I thought some of, I mean, there were certainly some shots that were better than others, and there were some sequences that were shot better than others, but for the most part, I mean, I I like at least that Shyamalan is kind of taking chances with some of the ways that he's shooting some of this. And it's like that's yeah. more than you can say with some of the other films that uh, have come out this year. Absolutely. Well, and plus, I feel like it must have just been a real challenge to shoot because you're constantly having to, like, mess with the sun. And I'm sure there's some, you know, post work to, you know, make sure the light matches from yeah. scene to scene. Having to shoot, you know, at different times of the day to make it look like it's the day is actually progressing mm-hmm. uh, the way it very impressive, I thought. Yeah. No, I, I definitely did. Um, what, have you, what have you thought of some of the bigger movies that have come out this year? I mean, for the, for the most part, I think this has kind of like been a bit of a lackluster summer in terms of the big bigger movies that we've gotten, at least. I, I would think my... I, I would think probably the most enjoyable one I've seen so far is probably Quiet Place 2. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I actually like that one quite a bit because I saw the first one, you know, when it came out and thought it was really great. But then rewatching it at home, I thought some of the emotional beats rang kind of false for me. Mm-hmm. So I liked this sequel more than the first, actually, because it's just all the focus on survival and mm-hmm. uh, that opening sequence is just incredible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was. Um, but I like that one, and I, you know, I always like to see Chili and Murphy pop up. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of that way with Jaiman Hansu, and it was like oh, yeah. it was it was nice to see him in that, even for a few minutes. And uh, I'm 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 glad that he seems to be coming back for the Shazam sequel. It's like I yeah. I'm always I'm kind of disappointed with I've always kind of disappointed with the way he's used in his career. Because of the fact, I mean, he has been nominated for Oscars. It's not like he can't do serious stuff. It's that everybody, he's basically been typecast as a heavy in so many films. It's just, it's really disappointing. It is, yeah. Especially if you work at, look at his work in, like, in America. Yeah. um, The Jim Sheridan film. It's just so, like, tender and human and then when it comes to like a big budget movie, they're just like, okay, put some horns or a costume on him and then yeah. send him out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a little disappointing. Um, yeah. I would agree with you about the summer not being so hot. Cause I mean, I haven't seen anything in the theater so far this year that have been like, Oh, that was terrible. But 
I haven't really seen in anything that's blown me away either. So like yeah. Black Widow was pretty good and um, F9 was fine, mm-hmm. uh, but there hasn't been anything, you know, amazing yeah. that I've seen in the year so far this year. Um, I think my favorite movie so far is probably No Sudden Move. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, straight to HBO Max, the new um, Steven Soderbergh crime drama. Mm-hmm. Um, really love that one. Um, but yeah, I think all of the big movies, or at least the ones that I'm looking forward to the most, are all coming out in the fall. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I I need to catch up on the ones that have been streaming only. I haven't seen uh, No Sun Moves. I haven't seen... Uh, I, I haven't seen... Uh, Mitchell versus the machines. I like they're 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 a lot of the animated move. They're a lot of the streaming movie streaming only movies that I just haven't had a chance to uh, sit down and watch yet. And um, it's yeah, it, it's it's just one of those things where it's like even even with you know last year was really kind of interesting because of the fact that even though movies were even though theaters were shut down, we there was plenty of stuff to watch, and that was the and. You know, it just wasn't all the big Hollywood stuff. I mean, I think the biggest movies that came out in the second half of last year were Tenet and Wonder Woman 1984. And it's like, I mean, that, you know, that was that was basically it. Like every most everything else was like, oh, we're just going to either dump it on streaming or we're going to dump it in theaters for and just let it die. And uh, sort of like. New Mutants and uh, I guess The Empty Man is the other Fox movie. Yeah, um, I you know I did actually see New Mutants at the drive-in and I didn't think it was good, but I have definitely seen worse X Men yeah. movies, <laughs> um, including Dark Phoenix, which I can't believe they've now screwed up twice. <laughs> right. Uh, but I did catch The Empty Man, not in theaters, but you know it was a couple months ago. I had a friend who just kept hyping it up. And so uh, he came over and we watched it, and that was really impressive. Um, I don't know if everybody who sees it will appreciate the length or the ending, but uh, I really hope this guy gets to make some more interesting movies because that was fascinating. I really think he made this great, and it's on HBO Max now, I think, if yeah. people haven't yeah. checked yeah. it out yet. Um, and I am... <laughs> festering boutique blu-ray labels to release it you know like you know if green factory or arrow would put this out i would snatch it up in a heartbeat so mm-hmm. maybe we'll get lucky because i it's you know it was a movie that fox obviously didn't care about because they dumped it with almost no promotion you know last year so i yeah. would not hold this for a blu-ray or mm-hmm. anything like that so yeah well i mean fox slash disney let's be completely honest at this point um, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a shame that it is disappointing that there are a lot of movies in, from Fox, at least of the past year or so that are sort of, I mean, okay, maybe not a lot, but it seems like there are quite a few that are sort of getting lost in the shuffle with the, not only with the sale to Disney, but also the, uh, release schedule in the lack of theaters this past year or so and uh basically like oh you're just gonna go out there for a week or two and you know we've 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 
fulfilled our obligation to at least release this film. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, just the consolidation too, because I feel like Fox Searchlight is not going to be this great home for movies that they acquire at film festivals or anything. They're just going to be mini majors, you know, yeah. that they can you know, turn out some biopics or, you know, something that might get a couple Oscar nominations. Um, and then they also, not that I saw a lot of movies from them, but they also shut down Blue Sky Animation. Yeah. And, you know, it, they're just going to pump out Disney product only. And they just wanted to get, you know, basically raid the entire studio for IP and, yeah, basically. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's and that is really you know that that is just a shame in general because of the fact that I mean you know and I I I know I picked up some Fox Blu-rays and stuff like that over the past year or two because of the fact that like you know I wasn't sure if they were going to be around a a more exactly. and. Uh, or available in the near future. So I picked up Laura, I picked up Grapes of Wrath, I picked up a few others. Uh, not, and some of them are ones that I've, re I've seen over the years and some of them are ones that I haven't. And it's like, I, I want to at least have access to these before I may not in the future. And that's, th that, that's the biggest, that is the biggest issue with the uh, run to streaming is the mm -hmm. fact that it's like, it's, it's, kind of making physical media obsolete not not obsolete because I don't I don't think the boutique uh labels will ever completely go away um or at least go the way of streaming and I think Criterion does the best job of um of mixing both worlds on their streaming site because of the fact that I mean they not only do they get the licenses to these movies to put them in different playlists and stuff like that and I'm I'm really fascinated by the John Houston playlist that's coming out this in August from Criterion Channel uh but also the fact that they make like some of their criterions available on streaming with the extras yeah. and all of that and I I think that's it's just such a great way of appreciating the the craft that goes into a really good physical media representation of a film, as well as catering to uh, stream people who prefer who like watching movies streaming and like having uh, like having a nice variety to choose from. Yeah, I think I think Criterion probably HBO Max are the best if you're a movie person because um, they have the biggest library and I don't subscribe to Criterion right now just because I have so many other streaming yeah. services and I'm probably the only one who's ever going to be watching anything on the Criterion channel so I was averaging out to like one or two movies a month so it wasn't yeah. I was taking full advantage of all uh, they had to offer but no it's great especially when they get um, licenses to stream titles that like you are really hard to find now so like mm -hmm. i've a lot of people this month for their um film noir most people have finally gotten to see the last seduction uh mm -hmm. with Fiorentino, which is a great movie which is hard to find yeah and know that when i did have criterion that was where i got to see the swimmer with burt lancaster for the first time um another movie that you know until recently you basically could not see yeah uh 
So yeah, and and I do appreciate that about Criterion, especially those interviews and stuff with uh, you know actors and directors who are big fans of some of the movies and. Um, you know, like that's how I, because I watched this video where Bill Hader talked about some of his favorite movies in the collection. That's how I discovered uh, this movie from Iran called Where Is My Friend's House? Mm-hmm. That uh, was really just moving and beautiful and never would have seen it or heard about it, you know, if it hadn't been for that. So, yeah. No, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's a wonderful, it, it it is a wonderful streaming service. I mean, if if you're interested in older movies, or if you're interested in just really great curation of movies, I mean, they're they're terrific. And like you, you know, and I, you know, I mean, I saw the Long Goodbye for the first time, the Altman film that oh, yeah. I had been wanting to see for a while, and uh, I I finally got a chance to watch that because of Criterion Channel having it. And uh, I mean, I I think it's funny because I do think. At least it was before it hit the channel. I'm not sure if it still is. It was, I, I want to say Last Seduction is also on Tubi, but they play ads. So, I mean, obviously you're watching it with ads and that's always less than, you know, that, that's yes. always less than an ideal way of watching any movie. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, Criterion Channel is just absolutely wonderful. And, uh, you're you're right about HBO Max. I mean, it, I you know it's like I even as as loaded of even as loaded of a uh, list that they have. It's disappointing that they don't have some of the other movies. Like they have 2001, but I don't think they have 2010. Yeah, and that disappoints me. And it's like I you know it would be it'd be gr- great to see some. Like there are other uh, other older movies like that I remember recording off of there, but I mean some of them are on Criterion, so it's like it's you know I I can probably find them, but like a lot it feels like a lot of this stuff that they probably bought by MGM in the eighties is just like not available anymore. It's like that's that's one of the more disappointing things. Yeah, um, well, and the other thing that uh, is probably annoying for some people, and I'm speaking from experience here, is that the rights to the Harry Potter series keep bouncing back and forth between HBO Max and Peacock. Yeah. Um, I mean, I own them all on Blu-ray, but, you know, they're still packed away in boxes, haven't really set up, like, a, you know, shelves or anything for that. And my wife wanted to watch one of them before bed the other night, and it's not on HBO Max, it's back on Peacock, even though HBO Max made a big deal when yeah. they launched about getting all of the Harry Potter movies. What and even though they're Warner Brothers titles, they're not available on HBO Max. You gotta go yeah. sign up for to do that. Yeah. But you know Tubi, and that actually I don't I only go there if that's my only option, but they do have a lot of more interesting titles some of the stuff that you probably remember seeing at the video store mm-hmm. um and like, hmm, that's an interesting cover i don't know if that's actually going to be a good movie or not but um, yeah they have some more i think that i don't know who runs like who's in charge of like you know acquisitions and stuff but it's obviously someone who appreciates those kind of weird underground movies so like the the few things that i've seen there i saw um forbidden zone the movie that 
Danny Elfman and his brother oh, made. Yeah, that's right. It's just absolutely wild. Um, and I saw Miss Forty Five that Abel Ferreira. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so you tend to have some of these kind of weirder titles that you sometimes you can find on other streaming services, but sometimes not. And so yeah, it's definitely checking out, and it's free. I mean, can't really yeah. beat that. Yeah, I mean that's where the that's where the ads come in. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, Tubi Tubi is actually an interesting. Uh, when I was uh, getting ready for Pod earlier this year, uh, the the guests had chosen a couple of uh, B grade movies from the eighties and stuff like that. And I looked and it's like, oh hey, both of them are two of these are on Tubi. Okay, I can watch these here. And uh, yeah, it's it's great because of the fact that if you enjoy like B genre films, I mean even if even if they've got some decent like older movies too, like they're there are a couple of, uh, you know, there there are a couple of pretty good. Uh, I saw quite a few uh, pretty good noirs there a few months back, and um, but yeah, it's Tubi. Tubi is an under. I mean, they also have completely bizarre off the wall stuff that clearly was direct to video at the time, and or will have been direct to video now, mm-hmm. and uh, it it's just completely out there. But they, I mean, they also they also occasionally you see major studio films there too. So I mean, they they have a pretty good rotation month in and month month out. That's worth uh, worth checking out if you like just exploring sort of like the outer reaches of like yeah. film genres. <laughs> yeah. What are uh, worse? So one of the one of the things we you know you you mentioned Black Widow earlier. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that we, you know, just yesterday, I mean, Scarlett Johansson decided to bring a lawsuit against Disney for breach of contract in the uh, day and date release of Black Widow. Um, I, you know, and it's, it really is kind of surprising that it took so long for somebody to do that. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you know, more, look, more power to her. I mean, you know, it's like if, Especially if they weren't willing to renegotiate because of the streaming issue, that's that's certainly uh, that that's certainly something to that where her lawsuit is kind of justified in that. Um, you know, I I also understand the people who are like, well, you know, it's it's basically rich people being upset other rich people, but at the same time, it's a little bit more complicated than that because. If if she wins, especially, it could have long-lasting impacts on the industry in a good way because of the fact that that means the studios can't necessarily play, you know, funny have funny Hollywood math with uh, exactly. with with how they choose to release movies. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and that's what's surprising is that they didn't you know renegotiate or get write her a big fat check when they announced that it was going to be on Disney plus as well. Cause to my knowledge, I think that's what Warner brothers had to do with Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins for wonder woman 1984 is they had to write them each a big check, you know, to make up for that lost money. And it sounds like Disney didn't want to do that. So, yeah, I mean, in situations like this or when you have like a writer's strike or like a, a player's strike in pro sports, I mean, almost every time it, you want to, you know the side that is in the right is the labor and not the owner um so 
you're right. It could have long lasting impact. And I mean, exactly more power to him. Cause like, uh, I think, I think, I just think the tide is kind of shifting. Cause you look at like college sports and, you know, the Supreme court ruled that those players can make money on their, you know, name and likeness and all yeah. that. So yeah, I think that, you know, they're definitely, there's definitely potential for people to finally get what they're owed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the college sports is actually an excellent, um, it, it's an ex, it's an excellent comparison because of the fact that it's like, that's something that really should have happened a long time ago. I mean, yeah. you know, and it's, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, even if you acknowledge that they were breaking the rule, they might have been breaking the rules at the time, they shouldn't have necessarily been rules to begin with because of the fact that, let's face it, the colleges were making money off of them being at the colleges and being as successful as they were. So, um, no, it's, and I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with Pixar because of the fact that, I mean, they've got two films in a row now that have been streaming only and it's really, it's disheartening. I mean, I know we've gotten quotes that have said it's disheartening for the animators and it's like, it's understandable too because of the fact that it's like, they were making these movies with the intent of being them being seen in theaters, and yet they're not able to do that. And it's like Soul was, you know, Soul to a certain extent was one thing, but it's like Luca, you know, you probably could have done pretty well this summer with Luca yeah. since there really hasn't been a whole lot of competition in the family movie department. Yeah, not at all. And I mean, animators especially are overworked and underpaid, and so you know, to put all your blood, sweat, and tears into a movie that, you know, sometimes takes three to four years to finish mm -hmm. and just, oh, they just decided to put it on streaming because it's easier for them to not yeah. have to worry about it. Yeah, that would be disheartening. So, yeah, it'll be interesting if something comes out of that. Mm -hmm. Who who are some of, who are, to, to sort of get away from the business side of it, I mean, it's a worthy conversation to be sure, but, um, who, who are some of your favorite filmmakers that you uh, really appreciate more than others? Um, I mean, I think some of the obvious ones, you know, Quentin Tarantino, Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, Martin Scorsese, the Coen brothers, um, a big fan of, of their work. Um, even when the movie itself doesn't quite work, it's still more interesting than you know, what a lot of filmmakers put out. Mm -hmm. um, and then for like older filmmakers, I really love uh, Billy Wilder and Alfred Hitchcock and Stanley Kubrick, of course. I did a deep dive on his movies a couple of years ago. And some of those early crime movies are really interesting. And then, you know, to have, you know, movies as wildly different as 2001, you know, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and Eyes Wide Shut, you know, and Barry Lyndon, all, almost all of his movies are just, you know, completely different and have completely different styles mm -hmm. and tones, and yet they're magnificent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's kind of master for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah, um, and I mean, newer filmmakers, I really like, you know, Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig and Barry Jenkins. Um, 
and uh, and Bong Joon Ho. Um, you know, until Parasite came out, I had not seen much of his work. I had seen The Host and I'd seen Snowpiercer. Yeah. Um, but after Parasite came out, I went back and saw some of his older films and really loved Memories of Murder and Mother. Um, and he's just a really fascinating filmmaker and another one who can kind of hop around different genres and always make something interesting. Yeah. No, I, yeah, there, there's some of the uh, earlier uh, Bong Joon-ho movies I really, I still need to see, like Mother. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, Parasite, Parasite's one, I mean, I had seen The Host, I had seen uh, Snowpiercer, and I had seen uh, Okju. So yeah. I, and so, and I, I loved, well, I wasn't a huge, I, I, I thought The Host was good, I mean, at the time, I wasn't quite... I think I saw it right around the time that it came out, so it's like I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. I think I was probably expecting more traditional uh, monster movie. But right. Snowpiercer I really liked, and uh, it's... And, yeah, I mean, um, Parasite just absolutely floored me when I, when I saw it. It's oh, like yeah. I, I couldn't shut up about it. It's like it was... It, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those movies where... Uh, yeah, he he's he's just completely something else. I mean, Barry Jenkins is definitely a filmmaker, a recent filmmaker that I've really come to love. Um, between Moonlight and uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, I I still need to watch. I still need to sit down and watch The Underground Railroad. It's it's just very yeah. hard for me to uh, you know. I need to get myself into the right mindset for something like that. Um, yeah. You know and. Uh, it's and uh, I mean Hitchcock is another one that I absolutely love. Um, Kubrick is a filmmaker that I really love over the years. Um, Spielberg, Scorsese, Tarkovsky is Tarkovsky was an immediate one for me that I did not expect to just be as entranced with his work as I, I as I ended up being. But uh, yeah. From I have kind of a hard time emotionally connecting with his movies, but yeah. he's so good at building worlds that are like close enough to our world, but they're just a little bit off. Yeah. Um, and that I, he's basically unparalleled as far as I'm concerned in that aspect, but mm -hmm. have not, I've only seen Stalker and Solaris and have not been able to kind of really get emotionally invested, but still just yeah. in awe of. Yeah, I mean, Stalker was actually my first one, and uh, that that's a that that's a tough movie to be make your first of him. Yeah. It's it's not an easy sit, but it I was just completely transfixed by it when I first saw it. Uh, Solaris, I'm I I really like I I really like all of his films. I think he he's such a wonderful filmmaker, and I think he's extremely gifted. But I you know it's like there are some movies of his I'm big fan of over others and it's funny because some of them I really liked at first and now I'm not as big a fan of sort of like so Solaris but then Ivan's Childhood his first film I was like it's a good movie and now I really kind of love it the more I've seen it and uh, it's it's interesting to see how a filmmaker's films especially the more you rewatch them 
uh, can really kind of hit you at specific times. And I mean, I, I think that's that's one of the great things about sometimes great movies or movies that even even if you don't necessarily connect them with them when you're younger, if you rewatch them when you're older, it's like, okay, now I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, another filmmaker that I really love and I still have a few that I haven't seen um, is Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. And because... I mean, he's just so prolific and is so interested in experimenting with release styles and film equipment and, you know, is very kind of restless. I mean, he you know, claimed he was retiring in, I guess, what, 2014? Then now he's put out five or six movies in the last yeah. years, I think. Yep. Um, and even if they don't totally work, there's always something really interesting in them. Um, but I've seen, I've seen almost everything he's done in the last like four or five years. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's all good. I like, like I said, no sudden move is great. And high flying bird. I really liked too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's just a fascinating filmmaker. I finally saw sex lies and videotape for the first time last year. Oh, wow. It's just like, oh, wow. Like he was this good. Yeah. Like the beginning um and so some of his like uh lesser known movies i haven't gotten around to yet um but i i've heard that he is supposed to i think this fall release a box set through his website of some of those uh forgotten movies of his that are kind of hard to find uh, yeah that supposed to be you know very spiffy blu-ray package with you know all the movies are restored and Special features and stuff, so that'll be interesting to see if that actually comes out. Because uh, he said that the the rights to some of those movies that bombed, and I guess the yeah. studio don't really care. They're not going to release them on Blu-ray at all. So they're you know they, the rights reverted back to him, so he can do what he wants with it. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I as far as his earlier work, I've always really loved King of the Hill. Um, I I saw it very early on. It just really hit me when I first saw it, and uh, I was so glad that Criterion added it to the collection because of the fact that it's like, that was, that was, and that was one of those earlier movies where I really liked it from him, but I wasn't sure if it was ever going to come out on DVD, and then when Criterion yeah. brought it out, it's like, oh, okay, there we go, because uh, I think yeah, I, I it's, think... It's impossible to see unless you own the, the Blu-ray and it's popped up on the Criterion channel before, but yeah, it's hard to find. Yeah, and I'm I'm seriously I I because I've been this is another one that I've been a huge fan of is uh, Kafka his his second okay. film, yeah. and that's the one that I'm most excited for him to release because I know he's said he's recut the film, and I'm really fascinated as somebody who's owned the VHS for years and that's basically how I've seen it I I yeah. I I really cannot wait to see what the what a newer cut of that movie looks like and it's is great because of the fact that it's like um it's written by Lem Dobbs who did the limey for him and mm -hmm. he also co-wrote Dark Sea for Proyas and uh it I absolutely have always adored the score for that movie by uh Cliff Martinez it's just something wow. else and uh, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to see that one eventually.
come back out and hopefully get rediscovered because of the fact that I I I think it is really one of those underrated sort of gems of his. But I mean, I would say probably more. I I feel that way more about King of the Hill because I think that is a legitimately terrific film. But um, I mean, Kafka is kind of kind of. It's kind of flawed. It's kind of predictable at times in terms of the structure, but uh, yeah, I've, I've just been always curious to see that revisited, and I was excited to learn that he had cut a new version of it. Yeah, I do. I do enjoy sometimes when directors keep going back and tinkering with it, um, like Apocalypse Now or Blade Runner, and you know, finally they allegedly they keep calling it the final cut. They finally get to do the version they want. I'll be interested to see, I haven't watched the new version yet, but I'd be interested to see the um, newly edited version of Godfather 3. Yeah, I haven't watched that one yet. Um, I'm kind of holding out hope that there's a 50th anniversary 4K yeah. of the entire trilogy next year, and that's included. I feel like, that's, God, that they, they, I feel like they're going to have to do that. So. Yeah. So um, yeah, I because I, I saw I saw the first three on DVD in that box set that came out way back in the two uh, thousands. But um, yeah, I mean I, I I haven't picked up the third the new version of the uh, third one, but I've always been curious. I've been curious about because I've never I've always thought the third one was not as bad as a lot of people say it is. I mean, it's certainly not as good as the first two, but it's not as bad as some people right. think. Yeah, I mean, definitely it would have been a better movie if uh, Winona Ryder hadn't dropped out and they would have paid Robert Duvall enough to come back. Yeah. Uh, but as it exists, I think it's still pretty good. And mm -hmm. and I, I guess it worked out for the best that Sofia Coppola was not a good actress because she became a very good yeah. director. And I don't know, I don't think she ever acted again, which, you know, ended up being... Well, she, I, I think she, I think she's an extra. She's one of the uh, Naboo, uh, she's one of the yes. handmaidens in Fan Menace. Yes, yes. I, so, I think that yeah. was her last time, but... Commercials and movies, but yeah, not a, not a no. major star. I'll take that no. again. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I, actually, I have been to uh, Coppola's winery out in California, and it's terrific if you're ever out there oh wow the... okay okay well this was this well uh kip thank you very much for uh joining me tonight and again because uh and hopefully we'll, we'll we'll stay on i'll have you stay on the uh I'll, I'll have you stay on the zoom to uh so i can confirm to you that it does in fact save save this time uh but yeah it was it was great to talk to you again so so quickly and uh yeah, I, I appreciate you uh, making the time tonight to talk to me. Yeah, anytime. Uh, this was yeah, this was a lot of fun. So uh, if you ever need me back, just let me know. Okay. I'd like to thank Kip Mooney for joining me tonight. Uh, I apologize to him for the uh, technical mix-up. Uh, last week, like I said, we recorded and... As I was going to save, my recording program decided to crap out on me, but this time we are safe. So thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the uh, Sonic Cinema Podcast. We have a lot of great things coming for you in August throughout the rest of the year. 
And uh, we're going to start with a couple of uh, discussions on filmmakers whom are considered two of the best to ever do it. Uh, that's it for me. This is uh, Brian Scuttle. You can check out the podcast at Apple, Google, and Spotify Podcasts, as well as the Sonsima Podcast YouTube channel, where you'll also see quick reviews, as well as uh, I plan on putting all my streams on the YouTube channel as well. And uh, twitch.tv backslash scuttle lemurs, where you will see me streaming. I uh, try to do it once a week, as well as patreon.com backslash sonic cinema. And finally, my written work at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you.